everyone, this is Regina. So glad you could join us today. We want you to know that we record live on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let's get into our discussion today. Want to open us in prayer, please? You bet I do. Father, we're thankful and grateful that you've given us the opportunity this day to come humbly and boldly before your throne to receive new mercy and grace. Father, we need all the maximum grace and all the maximum mercy you can give us. We ask that you would bless this time, bless this day, bless uh, the, the, the votes that go in today that no malfeasance, fraud, and cheat, and all the other things that the enemy is attempting to do, that those things will be uh, brought to naught. So Father, just let your will be done today in everything and in every deed that we participate in. This we count as a major deed uh, for the kingdom, and we ask that you would bless each and every person that comes to this uh, clubhouse, and that our talks and our discussions would be meaningful and productive, and that at the end of the everything, that you would be glorified. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for it all. We give you all the glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, in America, it is a voting day today. So people are out at the polls. Our mailboxes have been flooded with political flyers. I cannot believe how many trees I've killed <laughs> by throwing away all those flyers that have come in the mail. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but what we want to talk about today and get into is just having this conversation about eugenics, um, about what happened back in June with Roe v. Wade, how that ties in, and even just talking about elected officials today. I mean, some people have already cast their vote and um, people already have in their mind by now most people on who they're going to vote for when they get to the polls. Um, so us having this discussion about elected officials is not necessarily meant to change anyone's vote as much as it is to just to have a discussion about how politics tie into eugenics. And so what I want to do is uh, we are still in Kevin's book, Woked Up, and we are going to start... Last week, we kind of talked about Lonnie, so graciously led our room last week, did an excellent job. Um, mm -hmm. We are going to talk, we talked about uh, genocide and um, some of the ways that <clears throat> we have seen genocide play out uh, across the globe, but in particular today, we want to get to eugenics, really, and Margaret Sanger, because, uh, again, we see an individual who has been set in history, in time, and through their works of their hands, they have really made an impact on society, uh, not for the best. Um, others might disagree with us, but we're going to talk about that. So I'm going to read just a few paragraphs from um, Kevin's book. And I am trying to decide where I should start. Okay, I'm going to start on page 74. So if you have the book, that's where I am. 
page 74. The unleashing of Darwin and Galton's eugenics theories inspire, and before I, Kevin, just uh, give us a lowdown on what's eugenics. What does that mean? Eugenics is actually a term that uh, Charles Darwin and his cousin Francis Galton uh, made up. They, they, it was a term that I think it was a Greek term or it was, uh, I, I'm not sure where they got it from, but they said, oh, this is perfect. Uh, literally uh, defined, it means well-born. And fundamentally, those that are not well-born uh, can be essentially exterminated. So that's, the, but that's the, the term and, and how it came to be. It was made up uh, out of whole cloth. There was no science, there was no justification, there was no rationale other than white supremacy and racism. That was it. So uh, they wanted to be the supreme race without so many other ethnicities uh, overpopulating uh, sort of in their minds. Uh, and then, uh, you know, pure white Aryan Europeans would be, Caucasians would be uh, uh, a lesser ethnicity and would be at some point um, infused with the lesser, uh, their, in their minds, lesser ethnicity. So they felt, well, if we can get rid of the other ethnicities by virtue of creating this term, using it in a scientific way, that's how we do it, so. Okay. I wanted to chime in. Um, yes, go ahead. Kevin, in that um, what came to mind for me is um, this is not unlike the caste system that uh, was implemented in India. And from what I understand to some effect is still prevalent in some provinces within India where some are deemed to never be on par with those that are deemed to be the elite. And here is now a scientific term that's developed to drive an agenda um, that, you know, took hold in America and in great parts of uh, Europe as well. And there's still some last, there's still vestiges of it still existing today. If you're willing to peel back the onion and look and see um, exactly where it's taking place. I'm just always amazed, as I mentioned uh, last week, that how one individual, one small group of individuals can develop a, a system or a methodology, if you will, that takes hold uh, because of man's, uh, what's the term I'm looking for, uh, man's inhumanity to, uh, against his fellow man, and it takes flight, and here we are still dealing with it today. Thank you, Lonnie, for, for giving us that background. And um, as I'm about to talk about Margaret Sanger, just for those who do not know who she is or do not live in the U.S., doesn't necessarily mean that you know who she is. So Margaret Sanger started an organization called Planned Parenthood in the U.S. And Planned Parenthood basically uh, is an organization that um, puts themselves out there as being concerned for reproductive health. That's their large umbrella. And they were some of the first to open birth control clinics in the United States. 
in 1916. Okay, so that's almost 100 years ago, well, a little over 100 years ago. This woman, Margaret Sanger, uh, started the first birth control clinics and the American Birth Control League. She started in 1921. Now, what they have grown into is an organization that teaches sex education uh, in our schools. They are usually the organization within public schools that run the health clinics are, are connected to the health clinics. So Planned Parenthood um, in their clinics offer abortions. They do offer birth control methods, um, birth control pills. They give out condoms. Uh, they teach sex ed. They are the ones who will tell your children and teach them about sexual education in school. They will also be the ones who will inform your child that if they have a concern about sex or pregnancy, that they can talk to one of their employees and your parents will not know. They will not tell your parents. And so there's a whole bunch of things that are involved in that. But it has morphed into, and I wouldn't say morphed because it was always probably the plan as eugenics was always the plan to see uh, white races, Caucasian races be supreme. And we did talk about it a little bit last, last week, but it's a lot of detail in his book. It talks about the different societies and leaders like Stalin and Hitler and Pol Pot uh, and Kim Sung, uh, who were people who uh, were involved in mass genocide of humanity within their culture. And they based a lot of their works on the writings of Charles Darwin. And eugenics, the idea that anyone who was not of a certain race was less than, they were then killed. And usually they tried to kill them off in the womb. So you see those countries like China, uh, Japan, who limited the number of children that a family could have. Uh, and especially if they were girls, they were often killed either in womb or as soon as they were born. So uh, this all stems from and is around eugenics. So now let me get to Margaret Sanger. The unleashing of Darwin and Galton's eugenics theories inspired a hateful, racist, KKK-loving, white supremacist named Margaret Sanger. Sanger loomed large in the eugenics movement, with her works and legacy ongoing and even celebrated by supporters to this day. Margaret Sanger's road, record, and account confirm her depth of Darwinistic delusions and her contorted and contrived heart full of hatred. Sanger's despicable acts include her actively participating as a keynote speaker for the women's KKK rallies. And if you're not in America, or maybe you are of a younger generation and weren't taught about it in school, KKK is the Ku Klux Klan. And they were basically white people who were considered Aryans, were concerned about white race being the supreme, 
Uh, if you've seen any of the old movies or photographs or things like that, they went around in kind of the white robes with the white hats and the, the eyes cut out and the pointy white hats. And they would um, lynch black people, kill them, set their house on fire, burn crosses, do all those kind of things. Okay. So that's who the KKK is. Sanger was a frequent honor guest at Democrat-led KKK events and ceremonies. Sanger's track record of inspiring death and destruction is long. Her writings and commentaries are notorious and cannot be excused. Consider some of Sanger's direct quotes. So I'm going to read for you now some of her direct quotes. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. Number two, the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its members is to kill it. So if you had too many people in your family, you should think of killing some of them off. Probably, preferably in womb, right? In utero. Number three, we don't want the word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. These are her direct quotes. Number three. Uh, number four, the purpose of birth control was to create a race of thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds being, uh, we use that term a lot with animals and horses. It means the best of the line, the top, the fittest, the strongest, the best looking. So that's why they created birth control was to create a race of thoroughbreds. The idea to suppress um, reproduction within communities that were not producing the type of humanity that they thought should come forth. Number five, birth control most ultimately will lead to a cleaner race. Number six, referring to blacks and others disfavored people as, this is what she'd say, she'd call them human weeds, reckless breeders, unfit, feeble-minded, and undesirables. Seven, on the rights of the handicapped and mentally ill and racial minorities, she would say, more children from the fit, less from the unfit. That is the chief aim of birth control. Number eight, blacks are Jews. Blacks and Jews are a menace to the race. We must prevent multiplication of this bad stock. So you can even see by her vocabulary that she thinks of anyone who's not white as an animal because she's using kind of these words that we would use when we're talking about farming and animals and livestock. Uh, nine, the lower down the scale of human development we go, the less sexual control we find. It is said the Aboriginal Australians, the lowest known species of human family, are just a step higher than the chimpanzee in brain development. So these are things that she has been quoted as saying. And her organization, Planned Parenthood, the whole idea of reproductive rights. Um, this is the whole conversation about Roe v. Wade. And I'm gonna get um, Kevin and Lonnie to weigh in 
you know, on that whole case, what and what that meant for that opening overturned in just a moment. So you guys get ready. I'm going to continue reading a few more paragraphs. The above listed examples are some of Sanger's many comments confirming her fervent Darwinist embrace and racial hate. Many more blatantly and horribly evil written quotes from Sanger exist, and one can only imagine how Sanger spoke when her words weren't written down. Darwin's theme of most favored races and his role in unleashing eugenics indisputably influenced Margaret Sanger as she was a huge promoter of eugenics and forced sterilization to eliminate inferior races. In 1921, Sanger founded a nonprofit organization, the American Birth Control League, which became Planned Parenthood to help carry out her scheme to exterminate Negroes. Publicly available reports show Planned Parenthood aborts over 300,000 babies a year totaling over 7 million since abortion was legalized in 1973. Now, that number is mostly blacks. So, that organization has been involved in and contributing to the murder of black babies in womb, almost 7 million. Now, we will have this discussion because we don't, we're not going to let the parents, you know, the, the woman and the man who created the child, they don't get off the hook because, you know, they walked into the clinic. They chose to make the decisions that they did, right? We'll talk about that another time. But right now, we just want to talk about this entity and organization. And so that is over 7 million since abortion was legalized in 1973. Margaret Sanger's disgusting racist schemes were wholly motivated by her die-hard eugenist goals. Planned Parenthood was and is the edifice to fully carry out her diabolical plans to exterminate those not meeting pure Aryan genealogy, those who are not white. Sanger intensely loathed and disdained blacks. The well-documented facts explain Sanger and Planned Parenthood's program to target and actively eliminate Blacks and Hispanics that are being carried out to this very day. Okay, so let me stop there. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Kevin, you want to comment? And then Lonnie. Yeah, so actually the number of abortions uh, total, uh, you know, this is with all of the abortuaries, including Planned Parenthood for the past 50 plus years, is over 60 million. Um, 40, over 40% 40 of those, or approximately 40%, have been black babies because of the targeting. So as you can see, the number is in the multi-tens of millions that have been targeted um, and exterminated by hate, by bigotry. Planned Parenthood and the abortions generally. Uh, listen, uh, you know, uh, we may have some people that are listening right now or may listen to this, but when you look at the history of where this comes from and why it's here, it you cannot, <clears throat> you cannot escape, <clears throat> excuse me, you cannot escape the fact that it is 
born out of bigotry. That's just how it is. And um, it's born out of racism and white supremacy. That's why Darwin and his cousin did it. So if you are a pro-abort person, um, you, you, and you want to continue to be that, even with this history, then you must own uh, white supremacy and racism. And you can't, you know, deflect it or put it off on something else or somebody else. It's yours. And, you know, and, and you need to just proudly say, look, I'm a pro-abort. And, uh, you know, it's okay. I'm a white supremacist and racist. I mean, you know, that's, that's what it is. So wait, so Kevin, yeah. even if I am African American or Hispanic or a non-white person yeah. and I support abortion yeah. because I believe that people should have that right. Yeah. You're saying that that's what I am. I am uh, racist you, and you white are, supremacist. Yeah. Yeah. You are. Yeah. You are. You are supporting white supremacy, bigotry, and racism. The, it, you know, it's that's the only reason why it's here. It, you know, <laughs> that's the only reason why it's here. So, yeah, even if you're a person of color, uh, you may not be officially meet the title of white supremacist, but you are certainly supporting white supremacy, bigotry, and... Um, and and uh, and racism, you you know. That's, okay, that's but that's here. not. I, I'm doing this on purpose, and you know me. I'd love to do sure, a sure, yeah, advocacy yeah. things. So, yeah. all right. But my argument is is that you know a woman should have a right to do with her body whatever it is that she wants to do, or we can't afford another baby, or um, you know whatever the circumstances were that created this life, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it at all. So explain to me how you are, just because I want to abort in a baby, explain how that ties into this whole systematic thing of the white supremacy and racism. Yeah, so, so there are a lot of people that don't know the history. And so they, they think that, hey, abortion is just here because it's always been about a woman's right to choose. They don't understand the, the history of Sanger and sterilization and her targeting the black community. And that's the reason why she started it is because she wanted to exterminate blacks. It wasn't about women's health. It wasn't about anything else. She understood she couldn't put out a shingle that says, hey, exterminate blacks here. So she, she started with, hey, uh, let's figure out other services other, uh, you know, we can round it off with other screenings and those types of things. That's why she did it. So, so the bottom line is, is abortion has started for a very specific reason. The, the reason and rationale is not broad. It's very specific. It is, I, the, the goal is to exterminate other ethnicities. That, that would be any other ethnicities because that is what eugenics was about. It was other ethnicities other than white. We want to destroy. We want to exterminate. We want to give a, a scientific cover, if you will, uh, by virtue of this word, eugenics, and it gives us the ability then to exterminate other races. That's why Darwin and his cousin did it. Okay, so if you are aware of those facts, and if you say, I don't care. I'm still going to get my abortion. I'm going to participate in this fully. Then you, I, I don't, 
you're participating, whether you want to agree or allow or any, it, by definition, you're participating in bigotry, racism, and white supremacy. And it's inescapable that because it's the only reason why abortion is here is for those reasons that there's no other reason for it. it that's why it was created. So, yeah, that's, you know, so if you know those facts and that and you still do it, then that's great. Just own it. Just say, look, hey, well, for convenience sake and for, you know, I think my body, which is not your body that you're exterminating is the baby's body. But but for all practical purposes, they say, you know, my body, my choice, hey, you know, I'm still going to do this. OK, well, that's fine. That's just just your choice. But you just have to own it. You You can't deflect and project on other people oh, you're the white supremacist you're the right no you're actually by definition the white supremacist the racist the bigot that's you got it got it lonnie you want to jump in oh yeah with both feet um kevin's right on point and um and you're ultimately playing god and um because it's um, that little, little one that's in your, uh, womb is a unique being with all the DNA and, and everything that comes with being a, uh, an actual person. Um, many things I'm reminded of during my time in DC, I had a chance to participate in events, um, in DC on Capitol Hill, but specifically as it relates to the Smithsonian. And this is why it's so important that the populace, you know, uh, Christian folk out there in particular, be well-versed on the issues and partic participate in political process. Because in Washington, DC, at the Smithsonian uh, Institute, there's a number of museums in and around downtown TZ, um, DC. At the Smithsonian Hall of Portraiture, which is right up, street, up the street from the Capitol Mall, there exists a museum that has the history of America in portraiture and all the greats, you know, the, the noted figures, George Washington, um, everyone you can think of. Um, in that museum, in the civil rights area, right next to the Martin Luther King Jr. civil rights exhibit, which is next to the JFK exhibit as it relates to civil rights there is the Margaret Sanger exhibit. So right next to MLK's exhibit there that talks all the great things that he did during his life, there is Margaret Sanger where she's heralded as some type of civil rights leader when her mission in life was to uh, annihilate little black babies or babies in general, but specifically little black babies. And she was held, heralded in that museum until people of faith, those who got involved, uh, Bishop E.W. Jackson and many others that we know and love, uh, Johnny, Dr. Johnny Hunter, Star Park and many others, raised a ruckus and had a press conference and begin to, um, to um, well, make our, uh, make our presence known and they would not remove it. We kept speaking up on it during press conference. They would not remove it. So 
eventually, when we moved on to some other things that we were working on and kept coming back and checking, they went in one weekend and they moved her exhibit to another area. But there was no press on it or anything that spoke to it, uh, except for us in our political columns and so forth that talked about it. But it speaks to the government being involved with this as well, because as we talk about on our platforms all the time with EBLM, is that government underwrites this horrid practice financially. So so-called women's rights is really a part of the agenda, as Kevin saw. <laughs> you, are, you are white supremacists, even if you happen to be black, because you're utilizing the same process they use to do away with uh, with babies. You're, you're utilizing that process to solve an inconvenience you might have in your personal life. Wow. Oh, oh let, me, let me mention one other thing. Um, the recently deceased Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had made similar comments as Margaret Sanger, if you read her writings and her comments and her commentary about doing away with left desirables. That was a Supreme Court justice. So this is why we must be involved in the political process in our nation. Otherwise, we get stuff thrown at us that'll take, well, how long, Kevin? What's taken, what, 70 years to get Roe v. Wade overturned? Yeah, I mean, over 50 now, and uh, yeah, so it's it's been a long time coming, yeah. So I think a way also to kind of think about how you're participatory, because somehow we, we might think, well, it's, it's a personal choice, but yet, let's say you knew that this is not true, I'm using this as an example. Let's just say that you knew that McDonald's was using child labor. They were forcing six and seven year olds and eight year olds to work. They were beating them. They were giving them horrible housing. They were uh, not allowing them to uh, take breaks. They were doing all these things to really just abuse, manipulate, take advantage of child labor. Would you still eat at McDonald's? Right? I mean, in our culture now, everything's getting canceled, right? You're like, oh, no. Would you still go if you knew that children were dying under the forced hand of labor through McDonald's. This is not true. I'm just using this as an example. I don't want anyone taking a sound bite of this. <laughs> but the point is, is that, okay, so you're not doing child labor. But if you go and you give your money to McDonald's and you eat there and they are committing these crimes, are you complicit? Yeah, I think to some degree are. Now, here, here's the thing. Some people say, well, it depends on the age of the child. I mean, you know. But no, they're clearly abusing can. them, and we have laws against it. They're right. abusing them. Even if we did have, they're abusing them, and they're dying, and they're having terrible treatment. 
taken away. They don't want to be there. They're not being paid. They're being forced to work. Yeah. Right. So we're talking horrible treatment here. We're not talking about, you know, things are okay. Morally, morally, could you still go to McDonald's? No, no, I I, I wouldn't. And, And I would boycott to shut them down. If you had children that were being abused and dying there, no way. Nope, I, I, I couldn't do it. Um, if they're just working, but there's no death, people can moralize in their own minds ways around that. So, uh, but when there is death of innocence, um, for me, that's a hard line. There, You know, <laughs> That's that's a hard line. I, I don't I, I don't do that. Now so this is which is why I don't wear Nikes anymore. I used to wear Nikes, but here's the thing: Nike relies on uh, supposedly. I don't know this for a fact, you know, but supposedly Chinese labor and and some of that is child labor, um, and some of that labor comes from the Uyghurs, which are a uh, a faction of of the Muslim community. It's being horribly abused, uh, raped, pillaged, and forced to do slave work in China to do LeBron shoes, for instance. And he he's, he's, he won't say a word about it. He'll complain about everything else in America, but that boy won't say nothing about the Uyghurs that are dying to make his shoes. Um, so, you know, I won't, I won't participate in that. I don't do the Nikes anymore. I don't, I don't do you know, LeBron, I, you know, people like that, I have no respect for. So for me, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't do it. And, and that's what I was, and that's the point that I was, was kind of uh, getting at is that when you look at the moral implications of the loss of life, that should not, that should make you not want to be complicit in that not want to support that not want to be involved in that and so that that's kind of where i was going with 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 that i want to get back into the book but i see lonnie you came off mike go ahead and neil so glad to have you with us go ahead lonnie thank you regina um just to add to what kevin stated um you take a stance at at some point Um, i don't shop at target stores anymore and i haven't done so in about, uh, well, it's been about six years or so. And that's because Target came out and fully supported um, the open restroom thing where grown men who profess to be women can walk into a woman's restroom or a woman's change room at their stores, um, invading the privacy of women and young girls. I took a stance. I stopped shopping at Target. Used to like to stop at uh, shop at Target, but I had to draw the line someplace. And and that's what we in the faith-based community absolutely have to do. If we do more of what Kevin's talking about and what I'm talking about, um, we would have more uh, reactions from the uh, uh, our culture because you know they're trying to change our culture. And and, and the the whole abortion debate is 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 about that as well, uh, making it perfectly um, legal. Um, to do with the, with the life of a child, but I stopped shopping at Target. That's my personal stance. I took. I have some others that I won't bring up here, but uh, Target was a personal stance that I took because, uh, well, you know, I, I have children. I have a daughter, 
And um, I have mothers and sisters and so forth in my family, and I want them to be protected. So I'm going to do what I can to make sure that that takes place. By the way, Target is still doing that, by the way. They didn't back down, even though they lost millions of dollars worth of revenue because of the protests that, uh, that was orchestrated by American Family Association. Excellent. Um, let's read some more about Sanger, and then I want us to talk about what really are the ramifications of what happened with Roe v. Wade, right? Um, and Neil, Neil, are you able to talk, or you're just present? Okay. Neil is on platform, but he cannot speak at this time. Okay. Well, when you can, come off mic, Neil. Let us know so we can uh, hear your voice. All right, let's continue, and then we're going to get into Roe v. Wade, which is the Roe versus Wade, which was the law that set up abortion as legal and then was turned over on June 24th, 29th, I think it was. can't remember the exact date, but it was in June this year. Margaret Sanger confirmed, I'm on page 77 in Kevin's book, Woke Up. Margaret Sanger confirmed her racial hatred of blacks while speaking at a woman's KKK rally. Margaret Sanger wrote in her autobiography that she addressed a Ku a Klux Klan rally in Silver Lake, New Jersey in 1938. Quoted in Apostle of Birth Control sees cause gaining here. Isn't that interesting what she called herself? <laughs> Anyone catch that? Apostle of Birth Control sees cause gaining here. That's in the New York Times, <laughs> April 8th, 1923. Okay, Neil, you're available now. Great. Uh, so we'll come to you to talk about Roe v. Wade, and then we'll get into the Democrat Party and that article you wrote. Uh, so, wow, Apostle Birth Control. I'm just stuck there. <laughs> you know, that has a whole spiritual connotation, but I'll keep moving. Birth Control, this is her, her article now, what she wrote. Birth Control is not contraception indiscriminately and thoughtlessly practiced. It means the release and cultivation of the better racial elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extirpation of defective stocks, those humans' weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. In a radio interview on WFAB Syracuse, February 2nd, 1924, the meaning of birth control, Sanger stated, just think for a moment of the meaning of the word kindergarten, a garden of children. Every expert gardener knows that no plant would have a fair chance of life if it were overcrowded or choked by weeds. If plants, and livestock as well require space and air, sunlight and love. Children need them even more. A farmer would rather produce a thousand thoroughbreds than a million runts. 
How are we to breed a race of human thoroughbreds unless we follow the same plan? We must make this country into a garden of children instead of a disorderly back lot overrun with human weeds. In her address to the New History Society, New York City, January 1932, Sanger summarized in A Plan for Peace. Keep the doors of immigration closed to the entrance of certain aliens whose condition is known to be detrimental to the stamina of the race, such as feeble-minded, idiots, morons, insane, syphilitic, epileptic, criminal, professional prostitutes, and others in this class barred by the immigration laws of 1924. Apply a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population whose progeny is tainted or whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to offspring. Ensure the country against future burdens of maintenance of, for numerous offspring as may be born of feeble-minded parents by pensioning all persons with transmissible diseases who voluntary consent to sterilization. Give certain dysgenic groups in our population their choice of segregation or sterilization. I keep hearing children are a blessing of the Lord and they are inheritance. I keep hearing Genesis where Elohim gave the command to be fruitful and multiply. And as I know, he has not changed that plan at all. And yet we have, uh, this organization and others who radically support it looking at how to sterilize, how to basically kill off the population of people that they don't think are worthy of being born or breathing air or having sunlight and freedom as other children. That is just amazing to me. So, how did we, we can see now that we got to this place where abortion became legal and there were many organizations who fought against that for decades and it was finally overturned in June. So I want to hear from Neil because he can talk now and just kind of, if you want to give us some history, give us some thoughts just on Roe v. Wade. Give us your take, Neil. Well, the uh, I mean, as we've all mentioned, Roe v. Wade was specifically uh, created by the left, by the Democrats, to make abortion illegal. And not many people know this, but you know, one of the one of the objections I get is that uh, before Roe v. Wade, women were dying in back alley abortions with coat hangers because they were trying to give themselves abortions. And they say, oh, millions of people were dying or thousands of women were dying. Well, the reality is um, three years prior to Roe v. Wade being legalized, um, 73 women died in botched abortions. And the year before Roe v. Wade uh, 
was passed, something like 23 women died because of botched abortions, self-induced botched abortions. So we're not talking about thousands and thousands of people for number one. So secondly, the whole thing about Roe v. Wade was engineered. They went out and they found Norma Kobe to be their, you know, their, if you will, their, um, their case model. And she actually never had an abortion. She gave birth to the child that she um, was pregnant with at the time, and she didn't even know they were using her. So you can see this, the whole duplicitousness, the lies that they had all created and all this stuff, just trying to push this uh, thing. But the reason they were able to pass is because they knew they had the Supreme Court. And so this is all orchestrated long before. And part of that reason, obviously, was they wanted Planned Parenthood to get a foothold and they wanted Planned Parenthood to now be able to go and exterminate blacks because immediately the uh, Planned Parenthood starts focusing and targeting black families and black people. And this basically fulfills Marco Sanger's whole idea that uh, we don't want them to grow like weeds. We need to exterminate the, the, you know, the lower levels of the population. So you can see this whole plan unfolding. It was never something that, oh, look what happened. Oh, the culture gradually changed. No, they changed the culture. They focused on the culture. And, the, and here's the bad thing about Roe v. Wade. When Roe v. Wade was legalized, much of the country, a large, I don't have the exact numbers, but a large portion, like 73 to 75% of the country, did not approve of abortion. They were against abortion 100%. The rest of the population were kind of either in the middle, and then very few were for abortion. And then suddenly, if you look at over the years, by 1980, now more of the country is getting pro-choice. And by the 1990s, a larger portion of the Countries going pro-choice, and then the 2000 hits, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But basically, what was happening is the law became legal, and kids were growing up under this law. It's okay to have an abortion, and it changed their hearts. But then 2000 hit, and suddenly the numbers changed. Instead of uh, in 2000, something like it was 50-50. By 2003, it was like 51 were pro-choice, 50 were uh, were uh, sorry, uh, 49 were sorry, 51 was pro-life. 49 were pro-choice, and I think today it's something like 53% are pro-life. Well, if you think about it, this makes sense, because who's killing their kids? The left is killing their kids. So invariably, you're going to have more kids being born in pro-life families who are then going to adopt the principles. Now, it's slow. It should have been a lot faster, but a lot of these pro-life kids ended up going to schools and high schools and getting brainwashed uh, to become pro-choice. But yet we are still winning the war today. I think it's something like 53% or more are pro-life. And I think with this law change, you will see that demographic change even more. Great. Thank you, Neil. Kevin, Lani, anything you want to add? Yeah, what was uh, a couple things. So one of the things that uh, her, 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 the way that she characterized children as being sort of, you know, major inconveniences uh, children as being uh, the progeny of those that are feeble-minded. And so therefore, if you're born in a poor family, you're going to be poor, which is still prevalent today. This is a mindset that people say all the time, including politicians, and no one else calls them on their racism. This is a abject lie because the fact is most African-Americans in America in the 1950s and 60s were born of poor parents. And guess what? We're now by and large affluent or middle class or whatever. 
So it, it, it's it's not it's not that poor will always generate poor progeny. Uh, those that are of of lesser education will always generate lesser. This these are Darwinistic mindsets that are carried through. And unfortunately, we don't have enough people to understand this, to call them out when we hear these politicians, including Stacey Abrams just last week, saying, look, uh, economically, uh, you know, women need a good economic choice. Children are inconveniences. If they're bad economic, uh, in a bad economic situation, chances are it's going to be bad, uh, continue to be bad uh, with children. I mean, these things are corrosively uh, abject uh, falsehoods and, 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 and bigots. Bigot is a form of bigotry and nobody calls them out on it. So hopefully you see my zeal in this. This is, this is ridiculous. But anyway, um, so uh, the other thing that I wanted to say is that, um, uh, so uh, yeah, so like we can inherit in, in, in intelligence that we can inherit uh, uh, bad, you know, economic, you know, whatever, poverty, and, you know, children are going to inherit poverty, uh, these things. And um, uh, the other thing that I would say about this is when it came to the Supreme Court, Judge Hugo Black was an ex-KKK or a sitting member of the KKK. Uh, his daughter had had an abortion, uh, and he had other family members as well. He was the main... Uh, character on that Supreme Court that made sure that Roe v. Wade passed. And and it was purely unconstitutional um, from the very beginning. It, it just didn't pass the muster. So, um, but again, we, we see KKK, Darwin, all of these types of characters then still dramatically influencing this Roe v. Wade decision. It's, 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 born out of bigotry. It's built on bigotry. It is bigoted. There's just no way around it. And there's no, there's no other way to characterize it. Got it. Lonnie. And then I'm going to swing back to Neil because we're, I want to talk about your article that you wrote, Neil, um, an open letter to the Republican party about African-Americans. I think that's interesting in in our whole of our conversation that we're having when we begin to look at government's involvement in racism and eugenics. But Lonnie, you want to say anything before I shift gears a little? Yeah, I just wanted to um, say ditto to everything that uh, Kevin and, and, and Neil were stating. I was looking up the, the stat and haven't found it yet, but if I remember correctly, Margaret Sanger came from a large family herself which I find it ironic that she, you know, be a proponent of abortion. And um, it, it's really interesting that, that, that she herself would be such a proponent of abortion, but it just comes down to what Kevin was stating and, and, and Neil stating, just good old fashioned bigotry. I don't like these people for a particular reason. And, um, you know, we start calling people weeds <laughs> and, and then it kind of just lets you know where, where, where things are. The fact that she would have such buy-in from um, prominent members of society and then the influence um, uh, with the Supreme Court and, and what have you really speaks to uh, the fact, as I stated earlier, that we need to be very cognizant of what's taking place within the political realms of our nation and be vigilant in making sure that uh, 
uh, we keep the weeds out of those that have a worldview that's detrimental to our society in general and specifically to specific um, ethnic groups um, like the black community. You know, <clears throat> I still can't get away from the Bible, from Genesis, you know, because, and, and it is at the origin, it is still evil because when evil approached Eve, we know that Elohim, God's commandments to them were to be fruitful and to multiply. And at that point, they had not sinned. Had they be, think about what might have happened had they begin to multiply in their sinless state. And um, even, uh, and I have not yet gotten a chance to dig into Kevin's book, The War on Women but I am looking forward to digging into that and hopefully finding ways to weave that conversation in because it is still that war about killing the child, but yet the seed comes from man, but she's the carrier of it. So if you can diminish the possibility of more seed of reproduction happening, you kill off, you fight against the very first commandment that God set up to humanity. And I can't help but see that regardless of any other kind of situation. It's like, do you believe the word of Elohim? Do you trust God? Do you follow his word or not? And if he is saying to be fruitful and multiply, now I I can't understand how we can then say that abortion is okay. And then when you begin to look at evil's plan all the way through, and you look at how government has played a role in financing, in passing laws, in uh, subjugating people, in dismissing other uh, issues, the way that it's been to cover sin and to elevate evil. It's just amazing. So Neil, you wrote an article and it was published in stream, but you talk about an open letter to the Republican party and African Americans. And it's long. I want to just summarize your six points, and then I want you to talk about it with us. So I'm just going to read the, the six points, and then I'm going to turn the mic over to you to kind of give us more in depth. So you say, I think it's time for the Republican Party to stop playing defense when it comes to racism and go on the offense. The Democrat Party was racist, is racist, and will continue to be racist, and has been the greatest scourge of African Americans. Let's count the ways. You say, one, the Democrats are responsible for fatherlessness in the black community, and you describe it. Two, the Democrats are responsible for violence in the black communities. Three, the Democrats are responsible for illiteracy in the black communities. Four, the Democrats are responsible for unemployment and poverty in black communities. Five, the Democrats are responsible for unjustly prisoning a vast majority of blacks. 
That's interesting. Six, the Democrats are responsible for killing about 50% of the number of blacks in America today. All right, Neil, explain <laughs> how did how'd you get here? <laughs> I know it's always loaded and I love it when that happens because <laughs> people are like, what? <laughs> no, you get, they're like, oh, you have a lot to defend. And I actually don't, it's actually really easy. It all stems back to the first point, which is the Democrats are responsible for fatherlessness in black communities. Uh, and I'll, I'll just, uh, basically prior to the 1960s, no black person would vote for a Democrat because they were the party of Jim Crow. They're the party of racism, right? They're the ones who brought all the pain and suffering and refused to free the slaves. Um, so, but Lyndon Johnson was going to lose that election. So he needed a black vote to win. So he said, I'm gonna make sure that these ends, and he used the uh, racial epithet, uh, would vote, will vote Democrat for the next 200 years. Well, what was his plan? His plan was basically lie, right down the line of um, the Marxist plan, and that is to destroy the family. And they knew that if they destroyed the family, they would be able to have inroads and become the father figure for the black community. So what they did is they hired, what LBJ did is he, first he brings in welfare to hurt America, and second, he hires 100,000 social workers uh, to go into the homes and convince mothers that if they, their husband had lost a job but wasn't getting enough money, that they would uh, be better off by kicking them out of the house and having the government give them more money per child. So for every child they had, they, uh, they would get more money. And so this was a great incentive because at some point, the government's gonna give you more money than your husband can give you. And uh, we talked to a lady in Chicago just recently who said that, uh, she um, she remembers the, her, the social worker coming to the home and arguing with her mom to kick her dad out of the house. And then she also remembers a conversation over the phone with her aunt who was talking to a social worker over the phone. And the social worker says, basically, I'm coming over, at least hide your husband's shoes and his jacket. So when I come to the home, I can say there's no man in the house and I can give you more money per child. So this, guess what, ends up with before the uh, 1960s, fatherlessness in the black community was under 23%. Some stats say it was under 9%. And today it's 77%. I'm sorry. When you say under 23%, like, are you only doing a count of 100 families? <laughs> I mean, like, really? No. Blacks in America, you're talking. It, they're saying that of all the blacks in America, only. Uh, uh, only 23% of them were fatherless. They had no father in the home or they were in a broken home. So 73, in fact, uh, I was talking to uh, somebody who said, look, if you went down to Harlem or any of the black communities back in the 60s or the 50s, or the height of Jim Crow even in the 30s, you would actually see fathers walking downtown with their kids around them or playing with their kids or in the stores with their kids or, you know, if you looked in their windows, you'd see the father at the head of the table with their kids. Today, That's you go to a lie, Neil. You're lying. <laughs> Today, you go into the black communities, you see barred doors and nobody's on the streets. Well, that part's true. But. Right? <laughs> really? Oh. So this was a planned attack on the black community. Well, the second one, they're responsible for violence. Well, guess what happens when you don't have fathers in the home? You don't have discipline. Young men want uh, companionship. They want a male approval. Where are they going to get it? They're going to get it from the local thug who then starts a gang 
and then the gang needs something to do. They have to make money, so they get into drugs, they get into stealing, looting, violence, and now you've got these young men um, actively in crime. In fact, even though blacks are 13% of the population, they account for 51% of homicides, mostly against other blacks. I mean, they're not killing white people in those numbers, they're killing other gang members in those numbers. Um, and of course, women, young women looking for a father now want sexual approval or approval. And so they seek it in other male figures and it ends up being, they end up being more sexually active. So the second one is what, uh, the Democrats are responsible for more violence. The third one is Democrats are responsible for illiteracy. Well, that's quite simple. What happens when you have gangs in the inner city? Do you think the public schools are going to be good? No, the gangs infiltrate into public schools. Uh, who's going to get a job when you can get, make more money by being a gangster uh, or if everybody makes fun of you when you study? So the school, public schools are horrible. And um, it, before, in the 1930s, the black proficiency rate for reading was 70% self-taught because they, they were all in their own homeschools, if you will, or in their own private schools. Uh, today, it's 17%. Funny story, right? Um, in the original article, I said 18%. Um, and Regina knows this. We got an email from someone saying, I don't believe this. I'm going to eat crow if this number is really true. So I, I said, oh, well, let me let me double check my numbers in case I made a mistake. And I go through, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. My number was wrong. It's not 18%. It's 17% literacy. That means 83% of blacks leave, the, the inner city blacks leave without being able to read or write proficiently in English. Uh, that, and yet, uh, 60, 80 percent of all black parents want a school voucher so they can go to private school. Every time uh, blacks have gone to private schools, they've done phenomenally well and the voucher programs has worked. But guess who's fighting against the voucher programs? The Democrats. So again, they're responding, the Democrats responsible for literacy. Number four, real quick, uh, they're responsible for unemployment. If you, if you can't um, if you can't read and write, well, guess what? You're not going to be able to get a job. And, and then the Democrats bring in a minimum wage, which was started, as we mentioned before, by the racists because uh, black men were taking white jobs in the 1930s. So they came up with the Davis-Bacon Act uh, and a whole bunch of acts like that, which basically said, no, we got to have a minimum wage. Today, the minimum wage is 15. Who's going to hire a black kid for $15 an hour when they can't even read or write? They'd be willing to hire them for $4 an hour to move stock. But 15 bucks, nobody's going to pay that. So they're responsible for unemployment. Number five, uh, the crime, Biden crime bill, 1980s, 1990s, uh, would send a black young man to 25 years in prison if he was caught with an ounce of uh, crack. But if he was caught with an ounce of cocaine, which is the same thing, just in a different form, you get a slap on the wrist. Guess what? The white boys were using crack, well, were using powder cocaine. The blacks were using crack cocaine. We've got a lot of young men in prison for having an ounce of crack cocaine. And finally, of course, number six, we just talked about the Democrats are responsible for killing 50% of the blacks in America today. Planned Parenthood. There are 41.8 million African-Americans today. There would have been 61.8, but 20 million of them were killed by abortion before they could be born, paid for by the federal government, endorsed by the Democrat Party. They have killed 50% of all blacks. That's my... Those are my facts. If anyone disagrees, I'm happy to argue about it. <laughs> You're happy to argue about it. <laughs> <And> the <co> <laughs> so the common factor is all these are racist acts. 
And all of these policies are based by the Democrat Party. Who can tell me the Democrat Party does not want to kill black people and make sure they're miserable and poor and enslaved? Well, Neil, that's a wower. Like, I don't even know. We'd need another hour to dig into that. <laughs> but I mean, I think the whole point of, of bringing that into our conversation about eugenics and Roe v. Wade is simply because we are discussing eugenics, which is the uh, the idea that there's a well-born race, there is a better race, and that all the things around eugenics and eventually coming into Planned Parenthood were about making sure that certain races and classes of people were never born. And if we want to see that evil, because we're, at least on this platform, we're all people of faith and we believe that our creator had set some boundaries in Genesis, which he never changed. And when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, he didn't change those boundaries either. And so death is still wrong. The ideas of multiplication um, be fruitful and multiply are still true. Children are still a blessing. He is still the creator and there is still life even at the moment of conception in the womb. And so anything that runs counter to that is not of God. It is evil. And so if you have people aligning with institutions, with systemic systems that are still perpetrating those things. You cannot then be a part of that system or support that as we gave our analogies about McDonald's and about Target, just an example, uh, or Nike, which is a real one, Target, which is a real one. And we used our, my make-believe example about McDonald's. You'll see that morally there are things that we don't do because it's a matter of the way they are affecting the quality of life for a group of people. And so I remember stop shopping at Target, uh, Lonnie, now that you say that, I remember not going there anymore and making that decision. I never was a Nike fan, so, um, but I, I remember hearing about the child labor. I didn't know LeBron sneakers were still doing that. So uh, thank you for giving us that tip. But the point is, is, even if we look at the cancel culture, there's the idea is that we're saying that the morality of something is the reason that we should no longer support that. Now, people's morality gauges are way off, right? But if we are using the Bible as our plumb line, the word of Elohim, the word of God as our plumb line, then we realize that there are things that we just cannot come into agreement with. And what Neil has stated uh, so clearly with facts and with um, footnotes, and it is available on stream, but we are, I'm going to make sure that we post your unedited version on our website, <laughs> Neil, <laughs> so people can get all of that that you wrote with all the footnotes and everything. Uh, so if you go to our website at everyblm.com, I will make sure that I post this article that Neil wrote um, called an open letter 
to the Republican Party about African Americans. And because we are seeing and have known for a while the Democrats Party's responsibility, connection, and support to not just eugenics, but uh, welfare and structures and systems that removed fathers from the home, that targeted African American families because there was this underlying system that was designed to allow evil to continue to still rule it. And so we as people of faith really need to uh, be careful and really think about the type of government and elected officials that we vote in. In some other countries, you know, there probably are still some countries where people do not get to vote, where their rulership is born in and you are just subjugated to whoever you have. But the Bible does tell us that we should pray for those who have rule over us. And so there's not without hope. Um, our God would never leave us without hope. And that doesn't mean that we don't have dark days and things and challenges that we need to face. Um, we do. But we, our morality, our gauge should be on the word of God and not, you know, systems and organizations and scientific information that would lead us to things that totally run against what God has said. So we're going to go around and give everyone last words, uh, Kevin, Lonnie, and then Neil. All right. So uh, my last word is this, um, you know, because there is no way around getting around the reason why eugenics started and abortion as a function of eugenics is here. There's no way around getting around the bigotry, the hatred, the white supremacy of abortion. There's there, there's no way around getting around that. Now, it's unfortunate that so many people believe in abortion and are smitten by the idea that they have to participate in it somehow and that it somehow gives them freedom. But because there's no way around being around that whole issue, the reason why it's here in the first place, people then have to really just own it. Fine, I'm gonna submit myself to bigotry and racism. This is what I do. Just, just own, that's what you do. And quit pointing fingers at everybody else as being a supremacist and all of that. No, I'd love to hear before we finally, uh, you know, cut this, I'd love to hear from people in the room as well. So I hope we get a chance to just hear their opinions about these things as well. Lonnie, you're next, and I will send invites to those in the audience if you have anything you want to say. Of course, we'd be glad to hear from you. Go ahead, Lonnie. Thank you, Regina. And I just would point out, the, as I mentioned, concerning the Margaret Sanger um, statue and um, in the Smithsonian Museum, it's still there. It's still there. So it, it speaks to that we, as people of faith, must be vigilant and continually um, bang on the doors or knock on the doors of, uh, of those within the political arena and uh, put pressure on to those who would adhere to um, 
keeping su such a thing in, in, in a prominent light where it's to be celebrated when, in fact, and she's no different than having a member of the KKK celebrated in the Smithsonian Museum. Thank you. Well, I don't think there's much more I need to say, so I'm not going to add too much. Neil, sometimes you can be anticlimactic. <laughs> like, you have the floor, the last mic. Well, just uh, pound something basically, in. Basically, I mean, look, folks, we got to do something about this. We can't just sit around and say, okay, we know all this information. So the first thing I'd say is get the word out, spread the word out. I mean, uh, we should be having about 200 on these calls. So um, let's see if we can get more people here. I mean, I think what Kevin has done is amazing. I was stunned by the, the book. Uh, Kevin and I have been talking about creating talking points that you can go to... Uh, go to a school board meeting and start talking about all these things uh, and talking points to bring up uh, Margaret Sanger's racism and Planned Parenthood's racism. So when you go talk to a candidate, you can bring up these really awkward talking points and my entire talking point for how the Democrat Party is racist and when are they going to allow school vouchers? When are they going to stop, uh, you know, stop kicking fathers out of the home and start rewarding fathers to be in the home? All these kind of things I think is something that we, we have to get out there. This is the end of our discussion today. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to hear your voice, so please consider joining us live on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next week, have a great day.